This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, the sport of football is a dramatic game that unfolds in front of both a captivated and a captive audience, uh, somewhat similar to being in a courtroom. And today in Ringler Radio, we have a special guest who divides his time between the courtroom and the gridiron. We'll be talking about his law practice and his involvement with the U.S. Law Network and his job as an NFL referee. And, of course, discuss the similarities between the two. And joining me today as my co-host is my friend and Ringler colleague, John Kearns, from our Phoenix, Arizona office. John has more than 30 years of experience in claims and structured settlements. He joined Ringler in 1984 when he opened the office in Phoenix and later oversaw the establishment of two additional offices in Denver and Salt Lake City. And with that, welcome to the show, John. Thanks for being my co-host. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Larry. I'm very happy to be here. You know, it's uh, it's been a little while since uh, we've been together at an event, and I'm uh, always pleased to be with you, John. It's great, great to have well, you here. Thank you very much, Larry. Well, our special guest today is attorney Ed Hockley from the firm Jones, Skelton, and Hockley, PLC, also in Phoenix. Ed has been a partner with Jones, Skelton, Hockley since it was founded in 1983. During that time, he's tried well over 150 civil jury trials to verdict. Ed concentrates his practice on professional liability defense, products defense, retail defense, and transportation defense. Ed, I guess there's no offense at all. It's just defense. (laughs) <laughs> he is a member of the Federation of Defense and Corporate Counsel and is a member of the American Board of Trial Advocates. He's also a member of the Board of Directors and Executive Committee of the U.S. Law Network. And uh, Ed is also, of course, a referee for the NFL. And uh, there are very few football fans out there who don't know of uh, Ed Hockley uh, in that capacity for sure. So with that, welcome to Ringler Radio, Ed. Real pleasure to have you here. Well, thanks very much, Larry and John. I'm glad to be here, and uh, and and perhaps infamous is the right word with uh, football fans. <laughs> no, I think it's uh, it, it's terrific, terrific to have you here. Well, let's begin the show uh, by talking about starting out with your law practice. Then we'll get into some of the football uh, uh, information a little later. Who inspired you to become a lawyer, Ed? Where did that all come from? It's one of those things that, uh, as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a lawyer because my dad was a lawyer. Uh, uh, I didn't know what a lawyer was, uh, but I knew that that's what I wanted to be. And, and uh, so over the years, as I worked towards that goal, eventually I figured it out. Now, on the other hand, my kids, uh, I've got six kids, and my kids, uh, none of them have become lawyers. And they'll say, uh, well, Dad, uh Great what you've accomplished, but uh, I've seen what you've had to go through. I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> well, They're go. smarter than me. There you go. Well, Ed, hasn't one of your boys become a referee? Yeah, that's that's true, John. I've got one of my sons, uh, Sean, is a referee in the Pac-12, 
and uh, is uh, better than his old man is already. That's terrific. I understand he did a heck of a job in one of the playoff games. Yeah, yeah, he's um, he worked the uh, the uh, Pac-12 championship game this year, and uh, which was a great football game, and it's we've had a lot of fun with with his uh, career, a uh, football career, and uh, talk, we talk a lot about the, the games that we each have and compare notes and laugh at each other. <laughs> That's terrific. Well, something else you ought to be real proud of. I understand that uh, Jones, Skelton, and Oculi has reached a milestone this year. Uh, oh, we, you folks are now 30 years old. I know. I know it's amazing. I, I still remember when... Uh, Sitting around uh, Bill Jones's kitchen table when we when we started the firm and uh, it's uh, we've grown to something over 80, 80 lawyers now and it's been a it's been a great ride we've we've been very fortunate you and I go back that far too John <laughs> I, you know that uh, our hair colors changed a little bit I think in those years you started with Wrangler in eighty four and of course we knew each other and worked together before you even started with Wrangler. Well, that's, Prior to that. that's interesting. What? That that makes this uh, relationship even even better today. Uh, Ed, how has over the thirty years how has the legal profession changed, and how has the legal profession in Arizona changed? How has the climate over there changed? What have you seen? Well, we've had a one significant change, uh, and I'm going to kind of make that a group change in in the uh, personal injury law in that we have gone from what was called joint and several to what's called several liability, where now uh, parties, uh, defendants, are only responsible for their percentage share of fault. It used to be, and it is in some states, that if I am only 1% at fault uh, and somebody else is 99% at fault, I could be held responsible and have to pay the entire uh, damages and now that was a very significant change very that we significant. had back in Arizona. But another thing that's interesting and it, and it, it comes to mind because we're talking, I'm talking with you guys from Ringler this morning is the use of structures over the years. That when John and I started working together back in '84, structures were were pretty unusual, and and they were uh, it was hard to a lot of times hard to get the other side to think about them and to use them and to recognize the advantages of them. Um, but now, of course, uh, they're very common, and uh, the, the techniques have gotten to be so improved where now we can use structures and, and even relatively small cases uh, to help settle claims, and they've become a huge tool and a huge advantage for us. Well, that well you know, Ed, 50% of the structures that Ringler does are less than $50,000. So they are for the smaller claims. Sure. And before the perceptive perception really changed from back when you and I started doing it, it was the big cases. You're right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's been a big change. And you're on the uh, member of the board of directors and on the executive committee of the U.S. Law Network. Can you give us uh, uh, a little bit of background on the U.S. Law Network? and how it can benefit different law firms. Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, I, I as a matter of fact, I'm currently the chairman of uh, U.S. Law, and I have uh, a, a an app on my phone uh, that counts down the number of days that I have left in that term. <laughs> it's 162 days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those jobs are blessings and curses. We know that. 
yeah, yeah, no, no, no good deed is ever left unpunished, Dad. You know that. The, you know the that. truth is, I think I, I think my recollection is, is that I stepped out of the room to use the restroom during a board meeting, and I came back, and they had elected me chair. I think is how it came about. <laughs> and teaching you to leave a meeting. The U.S. Law Network is a uh, is a network, of course, of law firms around the country and actually around the world. Uh, we have, uh, if, if I talk just the United States, for example, we have uh, a law firm in all of the major jurisdictions. There's 64 firms in the United States. It's by invitation only. We look around for what we consider to be some of the finest law firms we can find and invite them to join. And uh, as a result, it's almost like a national law firm because we have uh, firms all over and lawyers all over that we know, that I know very well, that I know to be excellent attorneys that uh, whom I can refer clients or, or go for questions or issues that may come up in their jurisdictions. And then we put on programs for uh, the clients of all of us that are continuing education programs for our clients, be them insurance companies or or corporations, uh, uh, private uh, private individuals, that sort of thing. Ed, when you started your referee gig, for a better word, where did you start? Yeah, I did you start I, at uh, Pop Warner at the Pop Pop Warner League uh, level and work your way up. Yeah, that's exactly right. I was actually in law school at the time, and I had played football through college, and one of my old coaches suggested that I might enjoy officiating as a way to stay in touch with the game. And so I started doing uh, Pop Warner kids, and I could work four games on a Saturday and make 50 bucks. And I was married and in law school and, uh, and, and had a kid, and I needed the 50 bucks, and that's what got me started. And then slowly over the years, uh, I really loved it right off the bat, but slowly over the years, I moved up into high school and then junior college and then small college and then uh, major college. I got to the Pac-10, and that had been sort of, I thought, well, I reached uh, reached my goal. And then one day the NFL came knocking, and I didn't realize that the NFL scouts uh, all the college conferences, and and uh, now I'm about to start my 24th year in the NFL. So it's been a wild ride and a lot of fun. You know, Ed, it's it's interesting that you you say all that. It, it's that people don't realize, I think, the development of a of a referee from, uh, as you said, Pop Warner up to the NFL level. What is it that these scouts are looking at as you do these games that uh, give you that that special boost as you move along? What what's what is what's the uh, the essence of of what makes a referee a good referee? Well, I have no idea what they were looking at in me, and I often think about the fact that they must have confused me with somebody else why they hired me in the first place. Um, but they are they are looking for people who a, can handle the pressure because there is a lot of pressure and, and you're under a lot of scrutiny, and you've got to be able to officiate without thinking about the fact that there might be 100 million people watching and that everything that you do is going to be analyzed in super slow motion and second-guessed by everybody. And so you've got to have a certain amount of, of self-confidence, I guess, and, and ability to withstand that pressure. Uh, there is also the, the skill involved in different people as you move up different levels uh, the people who are successful at it will prevail. We get in the NFL, for example, the league spends about uh, about eight hours on every game and analyzes and grades every official on every play. 
and each week we get those grades back to find out exactly what we did right the prior week and uh, and anything that we did wrong. And so if you are not and if you are not successful at it, if you make many mistakes at all, uh you're going to be let go. And so uh, again, that process sort of weeds folks out and the people that uh that seem to be able to do it or as in my case, uh, guess well. Uh, and uh, that we're the ones that, I guess, the ones that survive. Well, you're obviously describing a lot of the preparation that goes into each game. I mean, t- tell tell us about how you prepare on a, on a typical Sunday. Um, do you you know Do you look at film of the of the teams to to notice the the uh, certain aspects of the various players and how they play? How how do you prepare for particular teams? Is that is that something that you you look at? Yeah, the preparation is uh, it, it doesn't start on Sunday. It actually starts on Monday. Uh, we will spend uh, we'll spend uh, hours every day of the week. Uh, we get videotape from the NFL each week. For example, I might watch an hour of nothing but holding calls, and there'll be a voiceover, and I'll be it'll voiceover will be saying, "Watch the left tackle. We want holding call because look what he does with the left arm and the way he twists the shoulder." Now, watch the left guard on this play. We don't want holding call on that play because and just play after play after play. Or I might get an hour of intentional grounding or roughing the passer. Those sorts of things. We watch a lot of videotape during the week. Uh, we also watch, rewatch the game that we worked with the grades so that you get that comparison between what the league is exactly what they want from a mechanic standpoint or what penalties that are called or that aren't called and that they don't want to have called and the communication and the flow of the game amongst the crew that's working it. And then on Saturday, we'll leave and I fly to whatever city that I'm going to do. And, uh, and we will then meet for, uh, for several hours on Saturday afternoon as a crew. And we go over some of the issues from our prior game. And we go over, we get, we have more video that we get from the league that we will watch there at that meeting. We do watch some of the upcoming teams, but you're not, really trying to anticipate what a team is going to do because they they do different things different depending on who they are playing. Mm-hmm. You try to think about, for example, if it's a team that runs a lot of no huddle offense, then we will talk about the how we are going to, how we handle no huddle offenses because it's a little bit different than other situations. So some of those sorts of things we will cover with regard to the team that we're, we're we've got coming up and then Sunday morning, we get up, we take a rules test. We take a rules test every week uh, and uh, head to the airport first thing in the, I mean, I'm sorry, not quite to the airport. Head to the game first thing in the morning. And uh, we work the game, and then after the game, it's uh, straight to the airport, and you're back home and uh, at, at work Monday morning. Well, you know, John, we, we uh, you and I were chatting at, at one point in the past about I call it the star syndrome. Uh, you know, there's always this feeling that certain stars, uh, certain superstars, get treated a little bit differently uh, uh, on on the field. Uh, calls tend to either go their way or, or not quite as much against them. Is that just a misperception that uh, folks like John and I have, Ed, uh, or or do you all get affected by the superstar and maybe are a little bit more lenient with a guy like that? Well. I think if you really think about it, it's not something that you or most fans attribute to the NFL. I think that we see that and we think about that more in some of the other sports. But yeah, basketball, for example, NBA and things like that, I would say, right? In the NFL, for one thing, you don't really notice. This may be hard to believe from a standpoint of watching the game, but as an official, 
you don't really notice who it is that 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 you may call a penalty on. Mm-hmm. It, they've got a helmet on. Remember that they've got a helmet on and a uniform. And uh, unless you're reading the name on their back, you don't know who it is. I get you. And and it all happens so quick that you couldn't stop and think about that anyway, even if you wanted to. But finally, I will say, because of the fact that we are graded on every play of every game, if we let a holding call go by because of who the particular player is, um, you're going to get called on it. And uh, there's a very consistent message by the NFL that we call the same thing. I don't care if it's the first preseason game of the year. I don't care if it's a 30 to nothing blowout, and I don't care if it's a Super Bowl. They want the same thing called in every game. So we really strive for that. Well, and as you do your job, Ed, you, for instance, you're watching a quarterback from your position. You see a limited amount of what goes on. You're looking at one specific or two or three specific things. So you don't see the whole play. No, you're absolutely right. Everybody's got responsibilities, and my responsibility in a typical play might be that I've always got the quarterback, but I also might have, for example, maybe the left tackle and the left guard, and I watch their blocking and I watch the quarterback. And Then as the play develops, my area of responsibility might change, but I never see the great catch that happens downfield or anything like that, or if there's pass interference downfield, I would never see that. I end up making the announcement, and I end up being the one that gets booed for it. Uh, but but I don't even <laughs> see it, much less am I the one that would throw a flag for that. Well, you know, Ed, one of the big misconceptions by by a lot of fans, uh, especially fans who aren't really that steeped in the game, is somehow we, we all feel that the referee, the white hat guy on the field, somehow has power over the other referee, uh, uh, other officials and can overrule is that the case, or are, are all these officials equal in terms of their ability to make a call and have it stick? Yeah, everybody is equal. Now, theoretically, the referees got the last say, but the fact of the matter is is that you never that's a, a power, if you will, that is really fictitious. As I said, I don't see the other penalties. I don't see the penalties that call, get called. Mm-hmm. So the last thing in the world I would do is say, no, we're not going to call that penalty. I, I trust and believe the guys around me and they're doing their job and they're very, very good or they wouldn't be in the NFL where they are. And so, but you're right. Most people, if, for example, if I announce a pass interference penalty, most people attribute that to me and, <laughs> and, and the fans who don't like it are mad with me and the fans who do like it are happy with me. And the fact of it is, I had no involvement in that other than to tell everybody we called the pass interference on the play. Well, just just to also clear some things up for fans who might be thinking uh, along these lines, there are a lot of little conferences between officials on the field. Uh, you know, play happens and the officials get together and discuss. I'm not even talking about the uh, when they when the coaches throw that little red uh, sure. challenge flag, but just discussions. What what is that about? Is that just trying to get your hands around the play, make sure it was seen the right way? Yes, our goal is we want to get it right. And there's nobody who feels like, hey, that's my territory and you stay away from my territory. And there are a lot of things that happen that maybe another official will see. You might have a second official and sometimes even a third official that sees part of of what happens. And so if there's any question in somebody's mind, if I've thrown a, a foul for holding on the tight end on a sweep 
And my head linesman, who's another one of my officials, also saw the play. He saw it from a very different angle. Mm -hmm. And if he's got any doubt, he'll come in. He'll say, Ed, I'm not sure. This is what I saw in that play. And we'll talk. And between the two of us, we'll come up with what we believe to be the best answer. And it's not unusual at all in those situations that the other guy that comes in and may have some information to offer from a different angle uh, may prevail. And that's why we would pick up a foul uh, and and uh, and not enforce a penalty. So you may pick up the flag and say there was no holding on that call. Something That's correct. Like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break right now and come back in uh, just a minute or so with uh, a lot more for uh, Ed Hockley, who I'll call Attorney Ed Hockley, but I think most of us around the nation know him as NFL referee Ed Hockley, and uh, this is fascinating stuff. So we'll be right back on Ringer Radio. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod and listen on the run? Just go to iTunes and subscribe. It's free. There's a Ringler associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler associate. Check out our new website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler associate nearest you. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. Uh, I'm joined today by my co-host and colleague, John Kearns, from our Phoenix, Arizona office. And, of course, our special guest, Attorney Ed Hockley from the law firm of Jones, Skelton, and Hockley in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, Ed, of course, is a well-renowned NFL referee. For all of you who uh, really want to know Ed, he's number 85, so you'll now have the bullseye. When you want to zero in on Mr. Hockley. Now, number 85 is actually on your the, 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 the stripes of your shirt. Is that is that your number? Yes, that's my number. It's just the number they assigned me when I came into the league uh, 24 years ago and the number that I've still got. Wow. Uh, interesting uh, little story about the jersey and the number. Um, one of the Super Bowls that I worked, uh, I think it was 38, Super Bowl 38 in Houston, I've got a lot of kids. I've got six kids and 12 grandkids and uh, and some son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and things. And uh, uh, the whole gaggle of them went to that game. And they got a hold of my jerseys, uh, number 85 referee jerseys, and they all wore that jersey <laughs> for the whole three days that they were in Houston. And when they went to the game and they sat together in a big crowd together at the at the game and they all had the jersey on. They said, you know, the Tom Brady fans here are wearing uh, Tom Brady jerseys, and we're here supporting the referees. So we're so it was kind of cute to see that. And I'd look up in the stands, and I'd see them all on the head. Uh, the odd signs, you know, the referees, my dad, big guns, Hockley's my dad, things like that. It was really, it was really fun. Well, I think I think the fact that you've said you've got six kids now that explains why you became a referee. I think that that's that's where it starts. I think. <laughs> Ed, do you have any any particular instance that stands out 
I know that there was a, a problem with a call in Denver, and it just it, it, it really killed you to do that, and you owned up to it right away. You threw a flag, and you knew it was a mistake, and you explained to everybody it was a mistake. How did you deal with that, and was there any fallout from that? Well, I want to thank you for bringing that up, John. Because, of course, I've been three oh, years. That's, that's a good. That's what a good friend does, right? Exactly. Uh, I've got exactly. a. I've, I've got a couple other for you too. <laughs> but I'll, I'll I'll give my therapist a call, and we can get a session in this afternoon to try to recover. <laughs> bringing that up. What actually happened on that call, Ed, uh, that John was mentioning? It was a. Uh, it was late in the game, and the quarterback was throwing the ball, and the ball slipped out of his hand as he was throwing a pass. And uh, I ruled it incomplete, and it was actually should have been a fumble, and the other team recovered the ball, but I had already ruled incomplete, so there's nothing that you can do about it. And uh, then the team went on to win the game, and uh, I got uh, <laughs> a lot of mail about it. But I responded. I, you know, it was obvious that I'd made a mistake. I felt really bad about it, and I responded and. Uh, uh, it was interesting because the next day the papers were printing the fact that I was responding to email and that I was had uh, was taking responsibility and apologizing for it. And from that point forward, the mail, it, the email was all positive. It was people were, oh geez, it's great that you owned up to a mistake. And I I always have thought about that. As that was about five years ago, but I have always thought about that as. Uh, an interesting comment on our society today that people thought it was a big deal that somebody admitted a mistake and apologized for it. And well, they're used that. to our politicians, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Ed, that's one of the first times that's happened in the NFL where there's actually been an explanation, and I shouldn't have done it. I'm sorry. It's come out, and I I, I admire you for doing that. But there, there, there's one other situation that uh, I'd like to ask you about, and it, this goes back a few years. You were a backfield judge, and I believe, let me see, the, uh, it was a, a Monday night football game in Chicago, and um, you had made a call, and the game ended, and I believe the teams went off the field, and... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were overruled. And there hey, Larry, was a delay. Larry, is this is this what good friends are all about? This Larry? is always this is all about friendship. Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, I believe there was a delay in bringing the teams back out onto the field. How did you feel standing there all by yourself? This is called redemption, was, Ed. Go ahead. It was the first Monday night game that I had officiated, and the game was in overtime. And you're right, it was in Chicago, Chicago, at Soldier Field in Chicago. And uh, Jim Harbaugh, who's now coach, of course, Jim Harbaugh was then a quarterback, completed a pass to, I believe his tight end was Cap Rocco. And, and, and he Cap was tackled right at the goal line, and I was standing there, and I signaled a touchdown, and the team's headed into the locker room. And instant replay called down and burst it and said that he was down and just short of the goal line. And we had to go into the locker rooms to get the teams to come out. <laughs> I tell you what, I was that was the lowest point of my life at, at that point. And um, they came out, and they ran a quarterback sneak, and they scored a touchdown, so it didn't matter. But I tell you, I get back to the office uh, on uh, Monday morning or on Tuesday morning, I mean, 
and uh, there were little stick figures on my desk from my partners of guys giving touchdown signals. And anytime <laughs> I'd see somebody in the hallway, they'd, they'd, they'd give a touchdown signal, and boy, they razzed me to death. Now, about Wednesday of that week, I got a phone call from the league office, and they had now gotten a different camera angle on it, and they said, oh, you know, by the way, that was right. You, you, he was correct. And, wow. and I says, now, I assume that you will announce next Monday night <laughs> that, by the way, that hockey was, so was correct last week. But, uh, they never obviously clarified that, but, but I got a lot of razz about that from my friend. Exactly. You're, still waiting for the, you're still waiting for that announcement, I imagine. Okay. In, in, any day now that that uh, that will come come out, I'm sure. Ed, how do the referees like yourself and the officials generally feel about the whole area of replay? I mean, obviously, if uh, someone was looking over John and my shoulder as we were doing our annuity applications and we did something wrong and people threw flags and blew whistles and and uh, it, it, we wouldn't like it that much. What, what's the general take on, from the officials at, on the whole area of replay? Well, two components to that. Number one is just the the general fact that you watch a game and that that all the plays are reviewed. You get to see them over, uh, you know, before the next. So many times there'll be different angles and whatnot. It is the rare profession where your job is videotaped and reviewed by everybody, uh, and you're under that kind of scrutiny. And even aside from that, as I mentioned, the league spends several hours grading us all by videotape and most people don't go through that in their jobs you get used to that that's just part of the job but actual instant replay in games where the coach throws a red flag or the replay uh, official stops the game we like that officials like that and the reason we do is we want to get it right and replay doesn't fix all mistakes but it doesn't make mistakes Uh, so we are fixing some mistakes with replay and that's the goal and so we are we are all the officials are in favor of instant replay, and I think the league has done a real nice job with their rules of getting it to the point that it isn't too intrusive in the game because it's limited on the amount of use that it can, uh, and it's designed to correct uh, mistakes that get made on big plays, uh, perhaps not on a, you know, if it's a two-yard pass completion, uh, it's not so important whether we got that right or wrong. Hopefully we got it right, but... But if it's a 30-yard pass completion, that's the one that Instant Replay really wants to take a look at and be sure that the ruling was correct. Interesting. And uh, this is a legitimate question because I think a lot of people don't know what goes on. You know, if there's a situation where it's at the towards the end of a game and it's a crucial game, and there's a fumble down by the goal line, what goes on in that pile that we don't know about? <laughs> And yeah. we can talk about today on radio. <laughs> Bear in mind, we're on radio here. <laughs> there, there is there is definitely a scramble for that ball going down on the pile, and who knows how many times it's going to change hands. Um, but uh, they, boy, they try to wrap up that thing tight, and it's hard breaking the pile apart because several people might have a hand in the football, and they think they might be able to weasel it out if 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 they can work at it a little bit longer, but. Uh, so we get in there and dig and look, and you try to figure out who's at the bottom of the pile with the football because that's the one that's going to get it. So it, it is interesting down there. And, uh, is there much talking going on? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> if you can call it talk, yeah. You know, speaking of the rough, tough nature of, uh, of, of football, you know, the NFL 
is now dealing with some legal issues, you know, concussion litigation, workers' compensation issues, uh, the whole issue of the bounty, uh, the bounty hunters. When you're out there looking at these kinds of issues around the NFL, you also wear the hat of a lawyer. How does that all mesh in, in your mind as you move forward? What do you think the future of the game is going to be when it comes to some of those issues? Well, there's the, surprisingly, perhaps because I am a lawyer, I'll tell you that there's little, there's very little insight that I can give on on that, and I don't speculate about it because I learn as a lawyer in my legal practice. There is so much that people don't know about that really are the things that define the right answer and the wrong answer. And I'm not involved in the concussion lawsuit or any of those other issues that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really know what the facts are. Mm -hmm. I, as a fan of football, um, enjoy the game and I, and I'm, I know that they've got issues to deal with. There always are. I do think that the NFL has done a, a marvelous job of trying to deal with uh, safe player safety. And every year there are new little tweaks that will come to the rules and uh, new points of emphasis to try to deal with player safety issues because certainly in my 23, 24 years in the league, it's amazing how much bigger and faster uh, the players have become. And the collisions are just... Uh, just make you shake. I, I've worked or uh, officiated over 450 games in the NFL, and there's not a game that goes by that there's not a half a dozen times or more that uh, I cringe at, <laughs> at the contact that occurs and am amazed that they hop up off the ground and go back to the huddle. Well, so, you're, you're, aren't you, you as referees and officials are playing a more important role in that uh, recently because you're throwing flags for these unprotected hits or spearing kind of hits and a lot of controversial stuff going on. But you're right in the middle of all that, aren't you, when you throw those flags for what you perceive to be uh, uh, something a little bit extracurricular? Oh, definitely. And I mentioned before the amount of video that we watch during the week, and that's another example that we will get a lot of video on so that we're getting real specific instructions from the NFL on exactly what is legal and what is not legal with regard to defenseless players. That receiver that's going over the middle, for example, who is uh, reaching to catch the pass, you can hit him in the body, but you can't hit him in the head, and you can't hit him with your head. And those are safety issues, not just for the guy who's trying to catch the pass, but when somebody puts lowers their head and uh, and hits somebody else head on, or in, even in their body with their head down, they're jeopardizing themselves because that compression on the vertebra is is very very dangerous. And so that is the goal: is to get the hitting with the head right. uh, and to the head out of the game because that's uh, perhaps the most dangerous thing that happens. There's a lot of player safety issues as well with below-the-waist hits. Right. Uh, the right. Knees are- Absolutely, but- the knees the knees, and some of those injuries. John and I, before the, the radio show today, were actually discussing uh, the whole issue of how the NFL and football generally is such a business and the biggest star of that business is the quarterbacks and how – uh, quarterbacks have become more, more and more protected as as time has gone on, basically because of the investment all these teams put in these in these guys and how important they are to the teams. I, I know you're not thinking about that necessarily on the field, but you would you'd, you'd admit I'm sure that the protection of the quarterback is paramount as you ref that game. Well, absolutely. I mean, the referee, I mean, the quarterbacks are, are, are obviously very key parts of teams, but. 
Also, if you think about the position, it is the one time in a game where and this guy is standing there and he's looking downfield at what's going on downfield, not paying attention to what's going around in his immediate vicinity. And there's uh, four, five, six guys from the other team whose sole purpose in life is to get you on the ground. And, and you're not paying attention to them. So we've got to put some protection in there so that there's, uh, that there's no serious injuries there. And, you know, you can tackle somebody just as well around the waist as, uh, as you can to the head. And that's why we try to uh, keep folks away from the head of the quarterback. Well, it makes a lot of sense. It's, and it, the game of football as we see it now, do you still envision it as it's being played now, or do you see any real radical changes that would come at Oh, I don't. You mean changes in the future? No, I certainly don't. I think that I think that the league yes. will continue to deal with player safety issues, and and if there's things that develop, I, I will give you an example of a of a change in the game. A few years back, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years back, players started a technique started that we didn't seem to see before which is referred to as a horse collar tackle. Mm-hmm. It, it, right. uh, when a runner has gotten away and the defender is trying to tackle him, he'd reach in inside the shoulder pad in the back and pull the runner back down to the ground, causes the runner's feet to buckle. It was very quickly evident that it was dangerous. It, people were getting hurt by that type of a tackle. And so it became illegal. And you don't see it very much anymore now uh, because – Players are avoiding it. They know it's going, to, it's going to be a penalty. That's an example of something that happened in, in the game. And so the NFL responded and said, that's too dangerous. And so we're going to take that out of the game. So those kinds of changes, I think the NFL will continue to do. If things develop or techniques develop that, uh, that are dangerous to the players, uh, we don't want people to get hurt out there. And I'm sure those kinds of changes will happen, but nothing dramatic is going to happen in the game. Uh, it never has. Uh, football is still the same game it was uh, 100 years ago or 75 years ago. Certainly it's the same game it was when I started officiating it 24 years ago. Uh, although, you know, you might get yeah, there's more passing now than there was then and those sorts of things as mm-hmm. teams change their, their strategies. No question. Well, before we wrap up, uh, one final question for you, Ed. Uh, somebody asked me uh, when they knew I was going to be talking to you. They, somebody wanted to know, exactly how do you get those biceps to look so big? <laughs> what is well, that workout there's, there's, plan? The, the key, is, the key is, uh, is just buy smaller shirts. Uh, That's people kidded me that I stop at, at, uh, at Gap for Kids. Well, uh, Ed, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. Uh, all of our audience, I'm sure, is intrigued by it. It's you, What you do out there on the football field, obviously, is uh, tremendously important and entertaining for all of us. And, of course, what you do in the courtroom is important for a lot of people, too. Uh, so if somebody wanted to talk to you, Ed, or get a hold of you uh, for either the legal issues or any other way, what would they, uh, how would they do that? Well, um, I'll give you my email address. It's easy to get on the internet, and I, I do hear from a lot of uh, a lot of fans. Uh, so I'm 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 used to to people uh, contacting me in that regard. But my email address is ehockley, which is e h o c h u l i at j s h firm j s h f i r m dot com, 
and so I can be reached that way for my legal profession. Uh, or uh, if somebody wants to, to tell me uh, what a wonderful job I'm doing as a, <laughs> as a referee. Exactly, uh, exactly. I'm, I'm sure you're going to get a few of those. And John, <laughs> uh, John, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Uh, well, if anybody really wants to know about Ed, just you can give me a call or write me an email. It's jkearns, J-K-E-A-R-N-S, at ringlerassociates.com. I'll uh, be happy to talk about Ed. I've, I've known him a year or two. Yeah, Ed, I think, uh, I think you might be in a little trouble here with, uh, with that from John, that's for sure. No, no Larry, you see, the, the one thing that John knows, and we both know this, is we've got mutual destruction capability <laughs> of each other. There you go. And as soon as he starts going after me, I've got too much on him, and we basically destroy each other. <laughs> well, that's, a, would, that's your safety I would agree bell. with that. That's your I would agree bell. with that. It, it, it is truly a day to day. Terrific. I, en- I enjoyed this very much this morning, Larry and Ed. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule well, and saying some things that people don't normally hear from the NFL to get the up close and personal. I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think there's any question about that, Ed. Thank you very much for being uh, here and being so candid. I think uh, I think that's what was really cool. Uh, and if any of our listeners want to hear about any of our Ringler Associates, you can go to ringlerassociates.com and you can reach uh, John Kearns or any of the uh, Ringler Associates around the country. Uh, and if you want to uh, listen to any of the Ringler Radio shows, go to ringlerassociates.com or ringlerradio.com or LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can even uh, go to iTunes and download uh, this and any other show and put those earphones on and sit on the beach and and listen to Ed Hockley and talk about football. It's pretty cool. So uh, with that, uh, Ed, thank you again very much for being our guest. My pleasure. Thank you. And, John, uh, terrific job as co-host. Thank you very much, Larry. And for all the rest of you out there, go have a great day. Thanks. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. With over a million listeners, Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. Today.